When the enemy destroys Yo ho ho ho, what is up everybody? Happy New Year. Welcome friends, fellow wisdom seekers, fellow truth seekers, everybody to the brave new world order straight out the catacombs of podcasting. I am Brandon Saint One. Thank you all so much for joining me for this episode. And as always, thank you for joining me as I continue my journey into this reality. Today, we are going to dive into a declassified CIA document where they were investigating the gateway process that was from the Monroe Institute because they wanted to know about the gateway process and how and why it works. And what is the gateway process, you ask? Well, the gateway process, like I said, was developed by the Monroe Institute, and it is a technique using frequencies to synchronize both hemispheres of the brain, and we're going to get deep into it. But the short and long for this intro is that they sync up both hemispheres of the brain, and it can get you into a meditative state to achieve altered states of consciousness. But this document doesn't just talk about altered states of consciousness. It also goes into the actual fabric and nature of reality, possibly being a hologram. It goes into what the nature of consciousness is. What is consciousness? Well, this document gives us a lot to think about on that subject, along with much more mind-blowing bits of information. I just want to say real quick for the People who've been with this show, the OGs that have been following me on my journey, keep in mind while we're going through this, the texts from the Emerald Tablets, the Hermetic texts from the Kybalion, as well as most of the shit I talk about on this show, but like the Nag Hammadi library texts, all that stuff. Keep that in mind. And also, thank you, the OGs of this show, for coming along with me for as long as you have been sticking with me through the thick and the thin. And also thank you to everybody else that's new to the show. Welcome. We're going to dive into the CIA declassified document about the gateway process. Just one more thing. All right, everybody. Let's just dive right into this document that was approved for release on September 10th, 2003 by the CIA. It was written to the commander of the United States Army Operational Group, and its subject says Analysis and Assessment of Gateway Process, dated June 9th, 1983. Number one, you tasked me to provide an assessment of the gateway experience in terms of its mechanics and ultimate practicality. As I set out to fulfill that tasking, it soon became clear that in order to assess the validity and practicality of the process, I needed to do enough supporting research and analysis to fully understand how and why the process works. 
frankly, sir, that proved to be an extremely involved and difficult business. Initially, based on conversations with a physician who took the gateway training with me, I had recourse to the biomedical models developed by Isaac Bentov to obtain information concerning the physical aspects of the process. Then, I found it necessary to delve into various sources for information concerning quantum mechanics in order to be able to describe the nature and functioning of human consciousness. I had to be able to construct a scientifically valid and reasonably lucid model of how consciousness functions under the influence of the brain hemisphere synchronization technique employed by Gateway. Once this was done, the next step involved recourse to theoretical physics in order to explain the character of the time-space dimension and the means by which expanded human consciousness transcends it in achieving Gateway's objectives. Finally, I again found it necessary to use physics to bring the whole phenomenon out of body states into the language of physical science to remove the stigma of its occult connotations and put it in a frame of reference suited to objective assessment. Number two, I began the narrative by briefly profiling the fundamental biomedical factors affecting such related techniques as hypnosis, biofeedback, and transcendental meditation so that their objectives and mode of functioning could be compared in the reader's mind with the gateway experience as the model of its underlying mechanics was developed. Additionally, that introductory material is useful in supporting the conclusions of the paper. I indicate that at times, these related techniques may provide useful entry points to accelerate movement into the gateway experience. Number three, Niels Bohr, the renowned physicist, once responded to his son's complaints about the obtuse nature of certain concepts in physics by saying, you are not thinking, you are merely being logical. The physics of altered human consciousness deals with some conceptualizations that are not easily grasped or visualized exclusively in the context of ordinary left-brain linear thinking. So, to borrow Dr. Bohr's mode of expression, parts of this paper will require not only logic, but a touch of right-brain intuitive insight to achieve a complete comfortable grasp of the concepts involved. Nevertheless, once that is done, I am confident that their construction and application will stand up to the test of rational critique. Number four, paradoxically, having gone to such great lengths to avoid trying to render judgments based on an occult or dogmatic frame of reference, in the end, I found it necessary to return, at least briefly, to the question of the impact of the gateway experience on common belief systems. I did so because although it was essential to avoid attempting to render an assessment in the context 
of such systems. I felt that it was necessary after having completed the analysis to point out that the resulting conclusions do not do any violence to the fundamental mainstream of either Eastern or Western belief systems. Unless that point is clearly established, the danger exists that some people will reject the whole concept of the gateway experience in the mistaking belief that it contradicts and is therefore alien to all that they hold to be right and true. Number five, this study is certainly not designed to be the last word on the subject, but I hope that the validity of its basic structure and of the fundamental concepts upon which it is based will make it a useful guide for other United States intelligence personnel who are required to take the gateway training or work with gateway materials. Signed, Wayne M. McDonald, Commander. So as you can see by the introduction, the Army, the United States military caught wind of the Monroe Institute and the Gateway Experience, and they wanted to know what the hell it was and why it worked. And of course, they send their people in, infiltrate, check things out. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually created the Monroe Institute and the Gateway Experience out of all the crazy shit they did after World War II. You never know. They did do a lot of experiments on people's minds and consciousness using lots of mind-altering psychoactive drugs. And who knows what the actual outcome of all those experiments were. So I don't think anything is out of the realm of possibility. This is just one document that happened to get released for whatever reason they put this document out. I'm sure there's tons of other documents that never see the light of day that explain a lot more. This was probably put out for a reason to put people down a certain path, certain rabbit hole, and or part of their attempts to look like they are more transparent than they actually are. And this is all purely speculation, of course. But let's keep on moving through this document. The next part says the gateway experience, brain hemisphere, synchronization in perspective. Number one, introduction. In order to describe the Monroe Institute technique for achieving altered states of consciousness called the gateway experience involving brain hemisphere synchronization or also known as hemi-sync. The most effective way to begin is to briefly profile the basic mechanics which underlay operations of related methods such as hypnosis, transcendental meditation, and biofeedback. It is easiest to effectively describe what gateway is by beginning with a short description of those associated techniques that share some common aspects with the gateway experience, but which are nevertheless different. In this way, we can develop a frame of reference at the outset, which will provide useful concepts to explain and understand gateway by comparison as we proceed. All right, so Wayne McDonald setting the stage as he compares the gateway experience to some of the techniques of hypnosis, transcendental meditation, and biofeedback. 
And then he gets a little bit into each of these. So number two here says hypnosis. According to the theories of psychologist Ronald Stone and the biomedical engineering models of Ishtak Bentov, hypnosis is basically a technique which permits acquisition of direct access to the sensory motor cortex and pleasure centers and lower cerebral, which is the emotional portions and portions associated with pleasure centers of the right side of the human brain following successful disengagement of the stimulus screening function of the left hemisphere of the brain. The left hemisphere of the brain is the self-cognitive, verbal, and linear reasoning component of the mind. It fulfills the function of screening incoming stimuli by categorizing, assessing, and assigning meaning prior to allowing passage to the right hemisphere of the mind. The right hemisphere, which functions as the non-critical, holistic, non-verbal, and pattern-oriented component of the brain, appears to accept what the left hemisphere passes to it without question. Consequently, if the left hemisphere can be distracted either through boredom or through reduction to a soporific semi-sleep state, external stimuli to include hypnotic suggestions are allowed to pass unchallenged into the right hemisphere where they are accepted and acted upon directly. The result may involve an emotional reaction originating in the lower cerebral region, sensory slash motor responses requiring involvement of the cortex, and so on. Both the sensory and the motor cortices of the right cerebral portion of the brain contain a sequence of points known as the homunculus, which corresponds to points in the body. Stimulation of the corresponding area on the cortex causes intermediate response in the associated portion of the body. Consequently, induction of the suggestion that the left leg is numb if it reaches the right hemisphere unchallenged and is referred to the appropriate area of the sensory cortex will result in an electrical reaction being generated that will induce the feeling of numbness. Similarly, the suggestion that the person is experiencing a general feeling of happiness and well-being would be referred to their appropriate pleasure centers located in the lower cerebral portion or in the cortex of the right hemisphere, thereby inducing the suggested feeling of euphoria. Finally, suggestions such as the one that informs the hypnotic subject that he enjoys enhanced concentration or powers of memory would be responded to in the right hemisphere by accessing unused information storage capacity normally held in reserve as a result of left hemisphere selection and control processes. This aspect will become significant in the context of the gateway process when attention is given to examining the way that hypnosis may be used to accelerate progress in the early stages 
of the gateway experience. That is a nice little explanation on how hypnosis works and how you can bypass the left hemisphere of the brain and pass suggestions right into the right hemisphere of the brain and create a hypnotic state of mind. Very fascinating stuff. Moving on to number three, transcendental meditation. And it reads, on the other hand, transcendental meditation works in a distinctly different fashion. In this technique, intense and protracted single-minded concentration on the process of drawing energy up the spinal cord ultimately results in what appears to be creation of acoustical standing waves in the cerebral ventricles, which are then conducted to the gray matter in the cerebral cortex on the right side of the brain. As a result, according to Bentov, these waves will stimulate and eventually polarize the cortex in such a way that it will tend to conduct a signal along the homunculus, starting from the toes and on up. The Bentov Biomedical Model, as described in a book by Lee Sanella, MD, entitled Kundalini Psychosis or Transcendence, states that the standing acoustical waves are the result of the altered rhythm of heart sounds which are occasioned by prolonged practice of meditation and which set up sympathetic vibrations in the walls of the fluid-filled cavities which comprise the third and lateral ventricles of the brain. In addition, according to Bentov, the states of bliss described by those whose kundalini symptoms have completed the full loop along the hemispheres may be explained as a self-stimulation of the pleasure centers in the brain caused by the circulation of a current along the sensory cortex. Bentov also notes that most of the described symptoms start on the left side of the body means that it is mostly a development occurring in the right hemisphere, although normally a period of meditation involving intense concentration and practice for five years or some is required to bring up the kundalini. Bentov states that exposure to mechanical or acoustical vibrations in the range of 4 to 7 hertz for protracted periods may achieve the same effect. Bentov cites as an example, repeated riding in a car whose suspension and seat combination produce that range of vibrations, or being exposed for long periods of time to these frequencies caused, for instance, by an air conditioning duct. He also notes that the cumulative effect of these vibrations may be able to trigger a spontaneous physio-kundalini sequence in susceptible people who have a particularly sensitive nervous system. That is some very fascinating information about transcendental meditation, activating the kundalini. Those mantras are very fascinating. He doesn't really get into that, but transcendental meditation usually consists of chanting a mantra repeatedly in your mind over and over again. And if you lose it, you start thinking about shit, you go back to the mantra. Similar to most meditations that focus on the breath, 
And then when you kind of start thinking about shit and fading out, you're supposed to go back to the breath, try to focus on your breathing. But instead, transcendental meditation, you focus on a mantra. I've been practicing transcendental meditation myself for a few years. It took me a little bit to get consistent, but now probably about two years every day, twice a day. I find it to be very helpful for me in my day to day. I believe meditation is a very powerful tool. You got to work on your mind just like you got to work on your body. And I think meditation all forms. I don't think transcendental is the only way. But for me, it's the best way to reach that meditative state. It's harder for me to focus on the breath. When I learned about chanting a mantra, that's when it all kind of clicked. And I was able to really like get into it. So I have some experience with meditation and transcendental meditation which the author of this letter just went into detail about. And I can definitely say from my experience that there's definitely something going on there, something deeper. There's different levels of reality for sure. So I just wanted to give my input about transcendental meditation since it was mentioned. And we'll keep moving on to number four, which is biofeedback. The third conscious altering methodology, which will be briefly described, is biofeedback. Biofeedback is somewhat unique in that it actually employs the self-cognitive powers of the left hemisphere to gain access to such areas of the right brain as the lower cerebral, motor, and sensory cortices and assorted pain or pleasure centers. Instead of suppressing the left hemisphere, as is done in hypnosis, or largely bypassing and ignoring it, as is done in transcendental meditation, biofeedback teaches the left hemisphere first to visualize the desired result and then to recognize the feelings associated with the experience of successful right hemisphere access to the specific lower cerebral cortex, pain or pleasure or other areas in the manner needed to produce the desired result. Special self-monitoring devices, such as the digital thermometer, are used to inform the left brain when it succeeds in keying the right hemisphere into accessing the appropriate area. Once this is done, the left brain can then repeatedly instruct the right brain to reestablish the pathways involved so as to produce the same external objective measures of success. In this way, the pathways are strengthened and emphasized to such an extent that the left brain consciousness is enabled to access appropriate areas in the right brain using a conscious demand mode. For example, if the subject wishes to increase the circulation in the left leg in order to speed up healing, he may concentrate with his left brain on achieving that result while carefully monitoring a digital thermometer connected to the left leg. When the concentrated effort begins to achieve success, the digital thermometer will register an increase in temperature of the left leg. At that point, the subject can mentally associate the sensations experienced with the result achieved and can begin to emphasize, by memory recall, the same process to cause its strengthening by affirmation 
and repetition. In this way, pain can be blocked, healing can be enhanced, malignant tumors can apparently be suppressed and ultimately destroyed. The body's pleasure centers can be stimulated and a variety of specific physiological results may be achieved. In addition, biofeedback may be used to greatly accelerate achievement of deep meditative states, particularly for beginners who have no experience in meditative techniques and whose progress in that methodology is enhanced through effective visualization and external objective affirmation. Display of the subject's brainwave pattern on a cathode ray tube has proven to be a laboratory-validated means by which subjects may quickly learn to place themselves in profoundly relaxed states characterized by the sort of quietude and singularity of mental focus associated with advanced meditation. All right, biofeedback, a little explanation about that. To me, that sounds a lot like manifestation, similar to the secret where you just focus on what you want and the feelings associated with actually having them. I don't know if you all have heard of the book, The Secret, that came out a while back that everybody was all hyped up on. All the Hollywood fake-ass celebrities were pushing it for a little while there. I think there might be something to it manifesting and creating good positive emotions and feelings. So if you hyper-focus on what it's like to actually have the things that you like, then it might create some positivity in your life. But if you just sit there and think about it and don't do anything, then nothing's probably going to happen. I think that it probably works because it creates some movement in your life, and then you actually start heading in that direction. And that might actually bring you good things and some positivity. But there are definitely some dangers and problems to watch out for. Like I said, if you just sit there and try to manifest things in your head, in your bed, and you don't actually get out of it, nothing is probably going to happen. But this dude definitely made some bold claims about malignant tumors and destroying them and weakening them with your mind. So now you see why this was a previously classified document. They don't want you to know how amazing and powerful your mind really is. They want you depressed on pharmaceuticals, feeling trapped and depressed and hopeless. That's what they want. I just wonder what it would be like if the same amount of money that is pumped into the pharmaceutical companies, if that same amount of money was used for this type of information and to study what our true potential is without it being behind the scenes, some black ops, CIA investigated bullshit. You know, if they made it widely available and accessible to everybody and every person who wanted it could reach their full potential, just imagine what the world would be like. It's the principle of mentalism. The first principle of hermeticism, the all is mind, the universe is mental. It's from the Kybalion. If you haven't read it, it's by the Three Initiates. It's a very good book. Pick it up or you could go back and listen 
I did a reading of it in two episodes. It's a pretty short book, and it breaks down the seven main principles of Hermeticism. It's one of my must-reads, so check it out. But let's keep going with this gateway document here. Number five says gateway and hemisync. Now that we have briefly profiled the basic mechanics of the principal techniques for altering or expanding consciousness, which share some of the objectives and or methods employed in the gateway experience, we may proceed to focus on what that technique actually involves. Fundamentally, the gateway experience is a training system designed to bring enhanced strength, focus, and coherence to the amplitude and frequency of brainwave output between the left and right hemispheres so as to alter consciousness, moving it outside the physical sphere so as to ultimately escape even the restrictions of time and space. The participant then gains access to the various levels of intuitive knowledge which the universe offers. What differentiates the gateway experience from forms of meditation is its use of the hemisync technique, which is defined in a monograph by Monroe Institute trainer Melissa Jagger as a state of consciousness defined when the EEG patterns of both hemispheres are simultaneously equal in amplitude and frequency. Although hemisync seems to be rather rare and of only short duration in ordinary human consciousness, Melissa Jagger states that audio techniques developed by Bob Monroe can induce and sustain hemisync with the Institute's basic Focus 3 tapes. She also notes that Studies conducted by Elmer and Alice Green at the Menninger Foundation have shown that a subject with 20 years of training in Zen meditation could consistently establish hemisync at will, sustaining it for over 15 minutes. Dr. Stuart Twemlow, a psychiatrist and a research associate of the Monroe Institute, reports that in our studies of the effect of the Monroe tape system on brainwaves, we have found that the tapes encourage the focusing of brain energy. It can be measured as with a light bulb in watts into a narrower and narrower frequency band. This focusing of energy is not unlike the yoga concept of one-pointedness, which we may translate in Western terms as a single-mindedness. Dr. Twemlow goes on to observe that as the individual gets into the tapes beyond focus three, there is a gradual increase in brainwave size, which is a measure of brain energy or power. So what I get from this is that the gateway experience is a shortcut to practicing meditation and yoga and kundalini and all this shit for like 20 years to reach this hemisync state of mind where your left and right hemispheres of the brain are synced up in amplitude and frequency. Let's keep moving through this document for some more fascinating information about this gateway experience. Number six 
says lamp versus laser. Melissa Jagger uses a metaphor to help clarify the process involved in the use of hemisync in the gateway experience. She points out that the human mind in its natural state may be likened to an ordinary lamp which expends energy in the form of both heat and light, but in a chaotic, incoherent way which diffuses its energy over a wide area of rather limited depth. On the other hand, the human mind, under the discipline of hemisync, acts after the fashion of a laser beam, which produces a disciplined stream of light. The stream of energy is projected with the total coherence of both frequency and amplitude, such that the surface area of a laser beam contains billions of times the concentrated energy found in a similar surface area on the sun. Gateway assumes that once the frequency and amplitude of the human brain are rendered coherent, it is possible to begin accelerating both so that the human mind is soon resonating at ever higher vibrational levels. The mind can then bring itself into synchronization with more sophisticated and rarefied energy levels in the universe. The mind, when operating at these increasingly rarefied levels, is assumed to be capable of processing the information thus received through the same fundamental matrix by which it makes sense of ordinary physical sensory input to achieve meaning in a cognitive context. Such meaning is usually perceived visually in the form of symbols, but may also be perceived as astonishing flashes of holistic intuition or even in the form of scenarios involving both visual and oral perception. The mechanics by which the mind exercises the consciousness function will be addressed in more detail later in this paper. Let's keep it moving. Number seven, frequency following response. To achieve synchronization of brain hemispheres, the hemisync technique takes advantage of a phenomenon known as the frequency following response, which means that if a subject hears a sound produced at a frequency which emulates one of those associated with the operation of the human brain, the brain will try to mimic the same frequency pattern by adjusting its brainwave output. Therefore, if the subject is in a fully awake state but hears sound frequencies which approximates brainwave output at the theta level, the subject's brain will endeavor to alter its brainwave pattern form the normal beta to the theta level. Since the theta level is associated with sleep, the subject concerned may progress from a fully awake to a sleep state, provided that he does not consciously resist. As the brain strives to entrain its wave frequency output with the one which the person hears. Since these brainwave frequencies 
are outside the spectrum of sounds which can be heard in pure form by the human ear, hemisync must produce them based on another phenomenon known as the brain's capacity for deducing beat frequencies. If the human brain is exposed to one frequency in the left ear, which is 10 hertz below another audible frequency played in the right ear, rather than hearing either of the two audible frequencies, the brain chooses to hear the difference between them. That is the beat frequency. Thus, availing itself of the FFR phenomenon and using the technique of beat frequencies, the gateway system uses hemisync and other audio techniques employing the FFR phenomenon to introduce a variety of frequencies which are played at a virtually subliminal, marginally audible level. The objective is to relax the left hemisphere of the brain, place the physical body in a virtual sleep state, and bring the left and right hemispheres into coherence under conditions designed to promote the production of ever higher amplitude and frequency of brainwave output. Audible and perhaps subliminal suggestions by Bob Monroe accompany the various brainwave frequencies, which are sometimes rolled in together with other sounds such as sea surf to mask the sound frequencies where desirable. In this way, Gateway endeavors to provide the subject with the tools by which he may alter his consciousness based on his own volition over time through the repetitive use of the tapes so as to access, via intuitive means, new categories of information not available to ordinary consciousness. Number 8. The Role of Resonance However, brain coherence through entrainment to beat frequencies introduced via stereo headphones is only part of the reason why the gateway system works. It is also designed to achieve the physical quietude characteristic of deep transcendental meditative states, which brings about a complete alteration of the fundamental resonance pattern associated with the sound frequencies produced by the human body. Yoga, Zen, or transcendental meditation if practiced long enough, will produce a change in the sound frequency with which the human heart resonates throughout the entire body. According to Bentov, this change in resonance results from elimination of what the medical profession calls the bifurcation echo, so that the sound of the heartbeat can move synchronously up and down the circulatory system in harmonious resonance approximately seven times a second. Bentov describes the role played by the bifurcation echo as follows. When the left ventricle of the heart ejects blood, the aorta, being elastic, balloons out just beyond the valve and causes a pressure pulse to travel down along the aorta. When the pressure pulse reaches the bifurcation, in the lower abdomen, this is in parentheses, which is where the aorta forks into 
to go into the legs. That's the end of the parentheses, and the rest reads, part of the pressure pulse rebounds and starts traveling up the aorta. If in the meantime, the heart ejects more blood and a new pressure pulse is traveling down, these two pressure points will eventually collide somewhere along the aorta and produce an interference pattern. By placing the body in a sleep-like state, the gateway tapes achieve the same goal as meditation in that it places the body in such a profoundly relaxed state that the bifurcation echo slowly fades away as the heart lessens the force and frequency with which it pushes blood into the aorta. The result is a regular, rhythmic, sine wave pattern of sound which echoes throughout the body and rises up into the head in sustained resonance. The amplitude of this sine wave pattern when measured with a sensitive seismograph type instrument is about three times the average of the sound volume produced by the heart when it is operating normally. Man, this is all very interesting stuff. I hope that you think so. If you do, leave a review, like, share, comment, all that good stuff. We're going to keep moving on through number nine, brain stimulation. Bentov's biomedical model shows that this resonance is of considerable importance since it is directly transmitted to and impacts upon the brain. The resulting vibration is received and transmitted into the brain itself via the fluid-filled third and left ventricles located above the brainstem. An electromagnetic pulse is then generated which stimulates the brain to raise the amplitude and frequency of brainwave output, just as Dr. Twemlow observed in his research on the effects of the hemisync tapes. Also, the brain is contained in a tight membrane called the dura, which is, in turn, cushioned by a thin layer of fluid located between it and the skull. As the coherent resonance produced by the human heart in a state of profound relaxation reaches the fluid layer surrounding the brain, it sets up a rhythmic pattern in which the brain moves up and down approximately 0.005 to 0.010 millimeters in a continuous pattern. The self-reinforcing character of resonant behavior accounts for the body's ability to sustain this movement despite the minimal level of energy involved. In this way, the entire body, based on its own micro-motion, functions as a tuned vibrational system which transfers energy in a range of between 6.8 and 7.5 hertz into the Earth's ionic spheric cavity, which itself resonates at about 7 to 7.5 hertz. Of this process, Bentov states, this is occurring at a very long wavelength of about 40,000 kilometers, 
or just about the perimeter of the planet. In other words, the signal from the movement of our bodies will travel around the world in about one seventh of a second through the electrostatic field in which we are embedded. Such a long wavelength knows no obstacles and its strength does not attenuate much over large distances. Naturally, it will go through just about anything, metal, concrete, water, and fields making up our bodies. It is the ideal medium for conveying a telepathic signal. Consequently, the gateway process is designed to rather rapidly induce a state of profound calm within the nervous system and to significantly lower blood pressure to cause the circulatory system, skeleton, and all other physical organ systems to begin vibrating coherently at approximately 7 to 7.5 cycles per second. The resulting resonance sets up a regular, repetitive sound wave, which propagates in consonance with the electrostatic field of the Earth. Number 10. Let's keep this shit going. Energy entrainment. As the body is turned into a coherent oscillator, vibrating in harmony with the surrounding electrostatic medium, the specific exercises included in the gateway tapes enjoin the participant to build up the energy field surrounding his body. Presumably, by using energy from the Earth's field, which the body is now in training because of its ability to resonate with it. This puts the body's energy field into homogeneity with its surrounding environment and promotes movement of the seat of consciousness into the surrounding environment partly in response to the fact that the two electromagnetic medians are now a single energy continuum. Thus, the same process which moves the brain into focus coherence at a steadily higher levels of frequency and amplitude so as to entrain analogous frequencies in the universe for data collection also promotes enhancement of bodily energy levels to a point adequate to permit the subject to experience an out-of-body movement when he is ready to do so in addition, by resonating with the Earth's electromagnetic sphere, the human body creates a surprisingly powerful carrier wave to assist the mind in communication activity with other human minds that are similarly tuned. Number 11. Consciousness and Energy Before our explanation can proceed any further, it is essential to define the mechanism by which the human mind exercises the function known as consciousness and to describe the way in which that consciousness operates to deduce meaning from the stimuli which it receives. To do this, we will first consider the fundamental character of the material world in which we have our physical existence in order to accurately perceive the raw stuff with which our consciousness 
must work. The first point which needs to be made is that the two terms, matter and energy, tend to be misleading if taken to indicate two distinctly different states of existence in the physical world that we know it. Indeed, if the term matter is taken to mean solid substance as opposed to energy, which is understood to mean a force of some sort, then the use of the former is entirely misleading. Science now knows that both the electrons which spin in the energy field located around the nucleus of the atom and the nucleus itself are made up of nothing more than oscillating energy grids. Solid matter in the strict construction of the term simply does not exist. Rather, atomic structure is composed of oscillating energy grids surrounded by other oscillating energy grids, which orbit at extraordinarily high speeds. In his book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, Ishtak Bentov gives the following figures. The energy grid, which composes the nucleus of the atom, vibrates at approximately 10 to the 22nd power hertz, which means 10 followed by 22 zeros. At 70 degrees Fahrenheit, an atom oscillates at the rate of 10 to the 15th power hertz. An entire molecule composed of a number of atoms bound together in a single energy field vibrates in the range of 10 to the 9th power hertz. A live human cell vibrates at approximately 10 to the 3rd power hertz. The point to be made is that the entire human being, brain, consciousness, and all is like the universe which surrounds him, nothing more or less than an extraordinarily complex system of energy fields. The so-called states of matter are actually variances in the state of energy, and the human consciousness is a function of the interaction of energy in two opposite states, that is motion versus rest, in a manner described in the following paragraph. Number 12. Now we are getting into holograms. Energy creates, stores, and retrieves meaning in the universe by projecting or expanding at certain frequencies in a three-dimensional mode that creates a living pattern called a hologram. The concept of the hologram can be most easily understood by using an example cited by Bentov in which he asks the reader to visualize a bowl full of water into which three pebbles are dropped. As the ripples created by the simultaneous entry of the three pebbles radiate outward towards the rim of the bowl, Bentov further asks the reader to visualize that the surface of the water is suddenly flash-frozen so that the ripple pattern is preserved instantly. The ice is removed, leaving the three pebbles still laying at the bottom of the bowl. Then, the ice is exposed to a powerful, coherent source of light, such as a laser. The result 
will be a three-dimensional model or representation of the position of the three pebbles suspended in mid-air. Holograms are capable of encoding so much detail that, for example, it is possible to take a holographic projection of a glass of swamp water and view it under magnification to see small organisms not visible to the naked eye when the glass of water itself is examined. The whole concept of holography, despite its scientific implications, has only been known to the physicists since the underlying mathematical principles were worked out by Dennis Gabor in 1947, in which he later won a Nobel Prize for his work. Laboratory demonstration of Gabor's work only occurred years later, following invention of the laser. As biologist Lyle Watson explains, the purest kind of light available to us is that produced by a laser, which sends out a beam in which all the waves are of one frequency, like those made by an ideal pebble in a perfect pond. When two laser beams touch, they produce an interference pattern of light and dark ripples that can be recorded on a photographic plate and if one of the beams, instead of coming directly from the laser, is reflected first off an object such as a human face, the resulting pattern will be very complex indeed, but it can still be recorded. The record will be a hologram of the face. Yeah, there's not much to see here in this document. I hope you're still with me. It's just the CIA confirming that reality is a hologram. Let's keep diving. Number 13. The part encodes the whole. Of further importance is the fact that even if we dropped our frozen hologram of the ripple pattern on the floor and broke it into a number of pieces, each individual piece would recreate the entire holographic image all by itself. The smaller the piece, the fuzzier and more distorted would be the resulting holographic projection, but the fact remains that a whole projection would nonetheless be made. The key to creating any hologram is that energy in motion must interact with energy in a state of rest. In the foregoing example, the pebbles represent energy in motion, while the water represents energy at a state of rest. To activate or, in effect, to perceive the meaning of a holograph, energy must be passed through the interference pattern generated by interaction between the moving energy and the energy at rest. In the simple example given by Bentov, this requirement was fulfilled by holding the frozen interference pattern in front of the coherent light to project the three-dimensional holographic image into space. As Marilyn Ferguson, editor of the Brain-slash-Mind Bulletin, tells us, another feature of a hologram is its efficiency. Billions of bits of information can be stored in a tiny space. The pattern of the holographic is stored everywhere on the plate. Number 14, 
the consciousness matrix. The universe is composed of interacting energy fields, some at rest and some in motion. It is, in and of itself, one gigantic hologram of unbelievable complexity. According to the theories of Carl Pribram, a neuroscientist at Stanford University, and David Bohm, a physicist at the University of London, the human mind is also a hologram which attunes itself to the universal hologram by the medium of energy exchange, thereby deducing meaning and achieving the state which we call consciousness. With respect to states of expanded or altered consciousness, such as gateway uses, the process operates in the following way. As energy passes through various aspects of the universal hologram and is perceived by the electrostatic fields which comprise the human mind, the holographic images being conveyed are projected upon those electrostatic fields of the mind and are perceived or understood to the extent that the electrostatic field is operating at a frequency and amplitude that can harmonize with and therefore read the energy carrier wave pattern passing through it. Changes in the frequency and amplitude of the electrostatic field which comprises the human mind determines the configuration and hence the character of the holographic energy matrix which the mind projects to intercept meaning directly from the holographic transmissions of the universe. Then, to make sense of what the holographic image is saying to it, the mind proceeds to compare the image just received with itself. Specifically, it does this by comparing the image received with that part of its own hologram, which constitutes memory. By registering differences in geometric form and in energy frequency, the consciousness perceives. As psychologist Keith Floyd puts it, contrary to what everyone knows is so, it may not be the brain that produces consciousness, but rather consciousness that creates the appearance of the brain. Fuck yeah, that's deep. I often think about consciousness and where it really comes from is inside our brain. Are our brains just antennas for consciousness from somewhere else, from our true spirit, our souls? Who knows? But these guys are saying that our consciousness is nothing more than a hologram, just like the universe. Let's keep it moving. Number 15, brain in phase. The consciousness process is most easily envisaged if we picture the holographic input with a three-dimensional grid system superimposed over it such that all of the energy patterns contained within can be described in terms of three-dimensional geometry using mathematics to reduce the data to two-dimensional form. Bentov states, that scientists suspect that the human mind operates on a simple binary go 
or no-go system, as do all digital computers. Therefore, once it superimposes a three-dimensional matrix over holographic information, it wishes to interpret and reduces that information mathematically to two-dimensional form. It can completely process it using its fundamental binary system, just as any computer made by the hand of man can process volumes of data and make various comparisons between the data and information stored in its digital memory. Our minds operate in the same way, perceiving by comparison only. Bentov states the proposition this way, Our whole reality is constructed by constantly making such comparisons. Whenever we perceive something, we always perceive differences only. In states of expanded consciousness, the right hemisphere of the human brain, in its holistic, non-linear, and non-verbal mode of functioning, acts as the primary matrix or receptor for this holographic input, while by operating in phase or coherence with the right brain, the left hemisphere provides the secondary matrix through its binary, computer-like method of functioning to screen further the data by comparison and reduce it to a discrete two-dimensional form. Number 16. Evaluation To the extent that Gateway succeeds in bringing about a refinement in energy matrix of the mind, it succeeds in expanding or altering human consciousness so that it can perceive without recourse to the intercession of the physical senses such that evermore of the universal hologram can ultimately be perceived and understood. Marilyn Ferguson has written that the theories of Pribram and Bohm appear to account for all transcendental experience, paranormal events, and even normal perceptual oddities. She goes on to say of Pribram, Currently, he is proposing a startling, all-encompassing model that is generating considerable excitement among those intrigued by the mysteries of human consciousness. His holographic model marries brain research to theoretical physics. It accounts for normal perception and simultaneously takes the paranormal and transcendental experience out of the supernatural by explaining them as a part of nature. Like certain strange discoveries of quantum physics, the radical reorientation of this theory suddenly makes sense of paradoxal sayings of mystics throughout the ages. Number 17. Self-Cognition To complete our outline of the process by which the mind achieves and exercises consciousness, we must also describe the mechanism which accounts for the aspect of human thought that differentiates it from the consciousness of plants or animals, that is, self-cognition. Humans not only know, but they know that they know. They are able to monitor the process of their own thinking and maintain an awareness of it. 
Moreover, they can conduct a comparative assessment evaluating the functioning of their thought processes against various objective standards they have adopted. Human consciousness can do this because it has the capacity to duplicate aspects of its own hologram, project them out, perceive that projection, put it through comparison with the memory aspect of its own hologram, and measure or sense the differences using three-dimensional geometry and then binary go or no-go pulse to yield verbal cognition about the self. Number 18 sounds awesome. Time, space, dimension. Up to this point, our discussion of the gateway process has been relatively simple and easy to follow. Now, the fun begins. Gateway involves more than just perception of those aspects of the universal hologram, which can be accessed in the dimension of time-space as we know it. To explain how and why human consciousness can be brought to transcend the limitations of time-space is the next task which must be addressed. To do this, we must first appreciate what time and space are in order to understand how the dimension that they constitute can be transcended. Physicists define time as a measurement of energy or force in motion. In other words, it is a measurement of change. However, in order for energy to be in motion, it must first be limited in some way within the confines of some sort of vibratory pattern so that its confinement gives it the capacity for being contained at a specific location which is distinguishable from other locations. Energy, which is not confined, is force without limit, without dimension, without the limits of form. It is infinity, cannot move because there is nothing beyond infinity, and is therefore outside of the dimension of time. It is also beyond space because that concept implies that a specific energy form is limited to a specific location and is absent from other locations. But if energy is in the state of infinity, there are no boundaries, no here to differentiate from there, no sense of area. Energy in infinity means energy uniformly extended without limit. It has no beginning, no end, no location. It is conscious force, the fundamental, primal power of existence without form, a state of infinite being. Energy in infinity is said to be completely at rest and therefore cannot generate holograms so long as it remains utterly inactive. It retains its inherent capacity for consciousness in that it can receive and passively perceive holograms generated by energy in motion out in the various dimensions which make up the created universe, but it cannot be perceived by consciousness operating in the active universe.
energy in this state of inactive infinity is termed by the physicists as energy in its absolute state, or simply the absolute, between the absolute and the material universe in which we experience our physical existence are various intervening dimensions to which human consciousness in altered states of being may gain access. Theoretically, human consciousness may continue to expand the horizons of its perceptual capability until it reaches the dimension of the absolute, at which point perception stops because the absolute generates no holograms of or about itself. Number 19. Intervening Dimensions Since the absolute is conscious energy in infinity, it occupies every dimension to include the time-space dimension in which we have our physical existence, but we cannot perceive it. It overlays everything as do many of the intervening gradients or dimensions through which the energies of the universe pass on their way to and from their home in the state of infinity or the absolute. To enter these intervening dimensions, human consciousness must focus with such intense coherence that the frequency of the energy pattern which comprises that consciousness can accelerate to the point where the resulting frequency pattern, if displayed on an oscilloscope, would look virtually like a solid line. Achievement of this state of altered consciousness sets the stage for perception of non-time-space dimensions because of the operation of a principle in physics known as Planck's distance. This is an aspect of quantum mechanics which applies to the fact that any oscillating frequency reaches two points of complete rest which constitute the boundaries of each individual oscillation. Without these points of rest, an oscillating wave pattern would be impossible since the points of rest are required to permit the energy to change direction and thus continue vibrating between rigid limits. But it is also true that when, for an infinite, simile brief instant, that energy reaches one of its two points of rest, it clicks out of time-space and joins infinity. That critical step out of time-space occurs when the speed of the oscillation drops below 10 to the negative 33rd power centimeters per second, which is Planck's distance? To use the words of Bentov, quantum mechanics tells us that when distances go below Planck's distance, we enter, in effect, a new world. To return to our case in point, the human consciousness wave pattern reaches such high frequency that the pattern of clickouts comes so close together that there is virtual continuity in it. Then, a portion of that consciousness is actually postulated to establish and maintain its information collection function in those dimensions located 
between time, space, and the absolute. Thus, as the almost continuous click-out pattern establishes itself in continuous phase at speeds below Planck's distance, but before reaching the state of total rest, human consciousness passes through the looking glass of time-space after the fashion of Alice beginning her journey into Wonderland. The gateway experience, with its associated hemisync technique, is apparently designed, if used systematically and patiently, to enable human consciousness to establish a coherent pattern of perception in those dimensions where speeds below Planck's distance apply. This holds true, irrespective of whether the individual is exercising his consciousness while in his physical body or whether he is doing so after having separated that consciousness from the physical body. That is what is called the so-called out-of-body state mentioned earlier. Number 20. Subatomic Particles The behavior of subatomic particles provides an interesting example of the phenomenon of clicking out discussed in the preceding paragraphs. In an article prepared for Science Digest magazine, Dr. John Gillidman mentions the way in which subatomic particles communicate with each other once their energy fields become entrained as a result of colliding with each other. The communication concerned is, of course, postulated to be occurring during the click-out phase in the oscillation of the energy fields comprising the subatomic particles concerned. It is this cause which accounts for the cross-communication at what in terms of time-space velocities would seem to involve speeds in excess of light. In reality, Einstein's theory of relativity is not being invalidated, but rather, the communication concerned is taking place outside the dimension of time-space to which the theory of relativity is strictly confined. Specifically, Dr. Gleedman tells us, quantum theory postulates a kind of long-range Siamese twin effect whenever two subatomic particles collide and then go their different ways. Even when the particles are halfway across the universe from each other, it says they instantaneously respond to each other's actions. And in so doing, they violate relativity's ban on faster-than-light velocities. Indeed, regarding attempts to quantify what is known about the behavior of energy in dimensions apparently outside of time-space, Bentov speaks about. He says, Courageous physicists who are working on hypothetical particles called tachyons, which can move at speeds higher than light. The speed of tachyons starts just above the speed of light and ranges all the way to infinite velocities. Number 21. Dimensions in between. Now that we have postulated the legitimacy of the assertion that energy forms which compose consciousness can move beyond the time-space dimension, 
we need to turn our attention to the energy forms which inhabit those dimensions between time, space, and the absolute. In doing so, we may better perceive the form that reality assumes when we encounter it in those intermediate dimensions. In this context, Bentov tells us the casual relationship between events breaks down. Movements become jerky rather than smooth. Time and space may become grainy or chunky. Perhaps a piece of space can be traversed by a particle of matter in any direction without necessarily being synchronized with a piece of time. In short, a pair of events will occur in either time or space, the pair not being connected casually, but by a random fluctuation. What Bentov means is that inside the dimension of time-space, where both concepts apply in a generally uniform way, there is a proportional relationship between them. A certain space can be covered by energy moving in either particle or waveform in a certain time, assuming a specific velocity virtually anywhere in the time-space universe. The relationship is neat and predictable. However, in the intermediate dimensions beyond time-space, the limitations imposed on energy to put it into a state of oscillating motion are not uniform as they are in our physical universe. A myriad of various distortions and incongruities are thus likely to be encountered such that our nice, neat assumptions concerning the relationship between time and space as we know it in this dimension do not apply. But even more important, access is open to both the past and the future when the dimension of current time-space is left behind. Pretty interesting stuff. Let's keep moving on to number 22. It says special status, out-of-body experience. Although human consciousness can, with enough practice, move beyond the dimension of time-space and interface with other energy systems in other dimensions, the entire process is appreciably enhanced if that consciousness can be detached in large measure from the physical body before such interface is attempted. Once an individual becomes proficient in the technique of out-of-body movement and then reaches the point where he is able to break out of time-space while out of his body, he gains the advantage of clicking out part of his enhanced consciousness while starting from a base located much closer to the dimension with which he wishes to communicate. In other words, since he is starting from a point much higher up, to use an analogy from the time-space context, that part of his consciousness involved in clicking out will have that much more time to interact in dimensions beyond space-time because less time is required to traverse the intervening layers. Moreover, once the individual is able to project his consciousness beyond time-space, that consciousness would logically tend to entrain its frequency output with the new energy environment to which it is exposed. 
therein greatly enhancing the extent to which the individual's altered consciousness may be further modified to achieve a much heightened point of focus and a much refined oscillating pattern. As a result, a self-reinforcing process should ensue whereby the farther consciousness in the out-of-body state can be projected beyond the time-space dimension, the more its level of energy output would be enhanced, thus promoting the potential for still further travel. The tentative conclusion to be drawn is that the out-of-body state may be regarded as an extremely effective way of accelerating the process of enhancing consciousness and of interfacing with dimensions beyond time-space. If the practitioner of the gateway technique has a choice of concentrating on achieving and exploiting the out-of-body experience as opposed to concentrating his full efforts on expanding his consciousness exclusively from a physical base, the former would appear to promise much faster and more impressive success than does the latter. All right, a little interesting bit of information about out-of-body experiences. Let's keep it moving here. Number 23, absolute in perspective. It may be helpful at this point to pause and recap the major aspects of our intellectual journey from time-space to the realm of the absolute. We have spoken at some length concerning the incredibly complex hologram which is created by the intersection of energy patterns generated by the totality of all dimensions of the universe, time, space included. We have noted that our minds constitute energy fields which interact with various aspects of this hologram to deduce information which is ultimately processed through the left hemisphere of our brains to reduce it to a form that we employ for the process we call thinking. We have implied that this hologram is the finite embodiment in active energy form of the infinite consciousness of the absolute. It is the title we assign to that vast pool of energy in a state of perfect rest over which the physical universe is layered and from whence it comes. Incidentally, to describe this, Bentov uses the analogy of a very deep sea, comparing the still depths of the sea to the dimension of the absolute while assigning the storm-tossed waves above to represent the physical universe with which we are familiar. The slightly agitated currents of the sea to be found in between the turbulent surface and the totally still depths represent energy in the process of either going into rest or coming out of rest. Number 24, from Big Bang to Taurus. Working from the widely accepted Big Bang theory, Bentov presents a conceptual model to depict the process of time-space evolution, the relative position of the universal hologram. That hologram is often called a torus because it is thought to have the overall shape of an immense self-contained spiral. Basing his thesis 
on recent studies concerning the distribution of quasars and operating on the premise that in the universe, smaller processes tend to be mirror images of larger ones. For example, the pattern of electrons around the nucleus of an atom mirrors the way planets orbit their suns, and so on. Bentov postulates the following scenario. Taking his cue from the observed capability of quasars to eject enormously concentrated beams of matter from their interiors in a controlled, non-concentric version of the Big Bang, he envisages a similar process occurring in the generation of the universe. Noting that those galaxies located to the north of our own galaxy are moving away faster than those located to the south, and that those to the east and west are demonstrably more distant. Bentov regards this as substantive evidence that the jet of matter which expanded into our universe has turned back upon itself, eventually forming an ovoid or egg shape. He sees matter in our universe entering the ovoid pattern following ejection from a nucleus composed of extremely compressed energy through a white hole. At the end of its trip to the far end of the ovoid, he sees it departing via a black hole. In such a model, time is observed to be a measure of the change which occurs as energy evolves into new, more complex forms as it progresses along the distance from the white hole side of the nucleus around the shell of this cosmic egg until it enters the black hole. In other words, as energy expelled from infinity and confined within limits by the conscious of the absolute achieves form and motion following ejection from the white hole at the top of the egg. Time begins as a measure of the cadence of this evolutionary movement as reality goes around the shell of the egg on its journey to the black hole at the far end. Whoa, that's deep. Number 25. Our Place in Time the observed distribution of galaxies suggests that our particular universe is located near the top of the egg at the point where matter begins to fall back on itself, thus explaining the reason why the galaxies to the north are seen to be moving away more rapidly as they are caught up in the downturn of the stream of matter towards the far end of the cosmic egg. Layered over this cosmic egg is the absolute, which sustains the radiating nucleus from which the original jet of matter issued forth. As the stream of matter moves around the ovoid towards its destination at the black hole, where it will be reabsorbed into the radiating nucleus and then the absolute, it generates the interference pattern within the cosmic egg which constitutes the universal hologram, or torus. Since the torus is being simultaneously generated by matter 
in all the various phases of time. It reflects the development of the universe in the past, present, and future. By reflecting on this model, it becomes possible to see how human consciousness brought to a sufficiently altered state could obtain information concerning the past, present, and future, since they all exist in the universal hologram simultaneously. Moreover, it is possible to see how the implosion of energy patterns would cross and recross to create an incredibly complex four-dimensional hologram or torus in spiral shape in reflection of the multi-dimensional developing pattern of evolution. All of the movements of the energies which comprise the universe leave their mark and hence tell their story throughout time. Number 26, Quality of Consciousness. We noted earlier that the out-of-body state involves projection of a major portion of the energy pattern that represents human consciousness so that it may move either freely throughout the terrestrial sphere for purposes of information acquisition or into other dimensions outside of time-space, perhaps to interact with other forms of consciousness within the universe. Consciousness is the organizing and sustaining principle that provides the impetus and guidance to bring and keep energy in motion within a given set of perimeters so that a specific reality will result. When consciousness reaches a state of sophistication in which it can perceive itself, it reaches the point of self-cognition. Human beings have this form of elevated consciousness as does the absolute, but in case of the latter, it is a function of energy and its associated quality of consciousness in infinity. When energy returns to a state of total rest within the absolute, it returns to the continuum of consciousness in the pool of limitless, timeless perception that resides there. Thus, the more complex an energy system in the material state, the more consciousness it possesses to maintain its reality. Our consciousness, therefore, is that differentiated aspect of the universal consciousness which resides within the absolute. It accounts for the organization of the energy patterns which constitute our physical body, but is distinctly separate from and superior to it. Since consciousness exists quite apart from and outside of reality, beyond the bounds of time-space, it, like the absolute, has neither beginning nor end. Reality has both a beginning and an end because it is bounded within time-space. But the fundamental quantum of energy and its associated consciousness is eternal. When reality ends, its constituent energy simply returns to infinity in the absolute. To me, this sounds a lot like the concepts that come out of spirituality and some religious texts, and definitely some 
of the concepts that were talked about in my previous episode, the Apocryphon of John from the Nag Hammadi Library, where Jesus is explaining things that sound a lot like this. But let's keep moving. We're almost through this. Number 27, Consciousness in Perspective. Having ascertained that human consciousness is able to separate from physical reality and interact with other intelligences in other dimensions within the universe, and that it is both eternal and destined for ultimate return to the absolute, we are faced with the question, so what happens then? Since memory is a function of consciousness and therefore enjoys the same eternal character as the consciousness which accounts for its, its existence, it must be admitted that when consciousness returns to the absolute, it brings with it all the memories it has accumulated through experience in reality. The return of consciousness to the absolute does not imply an extinction of the separate entity which the consciousness organized and sustained in reality. Rather, it suggests a differentiated consciousness which merges with and participates in the universal consciousness and infinity of the absolute without losing the separate identity and accumulated self-knowledge which its memories confer upon it. What it does lose is the capability for generation of independent thought holograms, since that can be done only by energy in motion. In other words, it retains the power to perceive, but loses the power of will or choice. In exchange, however, this consciousness participates in the all-knowing infinite continuum of consciousness, which is a characteristic of energy in the ever-present. Consequently, it is accurate to observe that when a person experiences the out-of-body state he is, in fact, projecting that eternal spark of consciousness and memory, which constitutes the ultimate source of his identity, to let it play in and learn from dimensions both inside and outside the time-space world in which his physical component currently enjoys a short period of reality. All right, everybody, that's where I'm going to leave this. There's a little more to it where he goes into the actual steps of the gateway process. And I'm not going to go into all that because it's not as interesting as all the information about time, space, and consciousness, and the absolute, and our reality, and our thoughts being a hologram. That's why I wanted to talk about this because I think it ties into what I talk about a lot on this show. And definitely, like I mentioned earlier, the Hermetic texts, the texts out of the Nag Hammadi library. I think what the science community and the intelligence community is starting to, and they have been onto for a while, is catching up to all the ancient wisdom that was known and lost. And quite possibly, you know my thoughts, probably kept from us. So thank you all so much for coming along with me on this journey. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you do, please take a second to share, 
to like, to subscribe. Head on over to Spotify if you listen there and answer the Q&A. Get involved. Interact. Love to hear from each and every one of you. Also, go over to the Brave New World Order Podcast.com and check out the website. Subscribe to the email list. You can also comment on the website about the episodes if you have thoughts. So I'd love to hear from you. You can also reach out, email me, the Brave New World Order Podcast at gmail.com. Follow me on X at Brave NWO Podcast. If you really want to help out the show, the best thing you can do is definitely like the show, leave a review. That's the best thing. I think it helps the algorithm. I'm not sure, but I think it's the best thing. Plus, I love hearing from you. But also, if you really want to help the show, you can also make a donation. There are links in the show notes and also on the website. Go check it out. Let me know what you think about that, too. I will be back very soon. In the meantime, stay positive. Question everything. Think for yourself. Much love, everybody. Peace out.